This is episode 75 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and my guest tonight is making his fourth appearance on the podcast. He covers the Edmonton Oilers prospects and the WHL for heavyhockey.com, Spencer Pomodi. Spencer, good to have you back on the show. Happy to be back for big old number four. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, how was your summer? It was good. Missed hockey, but, you know, got into a lot of those other sports. Tried out pickleball. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> how was yours? As it seems to be a pretty popular sport. I know my, my parents played some of it when they went down to Arizona for a couple months last winter. So, yeah, it seems to be growing. Uh, yeah, summer was good. I, I'm like you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the, the warm weather and everything, but winter is my favorite season because that's when hockey is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I just, uh, I felt like the off season was a little bit too long. It was only four months the previous summer because the Oilers went to the conference final. And, you know, having that five month off season this year, it just, it felt a little too long and uh, just kind of left a bitter taste in fans' mouth the way it ended. So I think we're all just really eager to get Oilers hockey back going. Yeah, it seems like the players were too with those early captain skates. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I talked about that with Michael Bear on the last podcast we did, that mm-hmm. they wanted to get back early and just be ready to go right from day one. They have a bit of a light schedule to start with eight of 12 games uh, against non-playoff teams. So you want to get off to that quick start, have a good record going into November, and you know, hopefully they can just carry that through and uh, win a division title this year. And then we'll then we'll see what happens going into the playoffs. Yeah, it'd be incredible to see what they can do if they actually start off hot for once. Well, uh, two years ago, remember they got off to that great 16-5 and five start. Then they had yep. their typical December into January slump, but they always seem to come back later in the season and finish strong. There's, uh, I mean, it's been four years in a row they've finished second place in the division. So I think this is the first year that they, they need to get that division banner now. Yeah, I'm hoping. Definitely, man. And as great as it is to be, uh, you know, talking about uh, the team being back on the ice tonight, we're going to focus mainly on the prospects. And uh, I know this summer you went to Oilers development camp in July. So uh, for someone like yourself who really follows the Oilers prospects closely, what was it like to see all of these kids play live in the Billy Moore's Cup? It w- it's fun. I always enjoy seeing them live, uh, especially with how they do the Billy's Moore Cup as a three-on-three, kind of cut the ice into a third, and then a bunch of, they just go at it. It's it's fun. It's pretty. You see their uh, in tight skills mostly, not a lot of like big rush opportunities. So somebody like uh, Noel Hoffenmeyer really did well in the small area because what he lacks is skating, but he looks... He looked great at the Billy Morris Cup because everything else is there. Right. And, you know, in past years, they did play a full sheet of ice five on five for that, where it was only two teams instead of breaking it down into the four teams for the three on three games, as you were mentioning. Did you like this format better or would you have preferred to see all of these players playing in an actual hockey game? Uh, I think there's pros and cons of both i like actually seeing them go head to head in a game against each other but having i the billy moore's cup it kind of seems more of something fun for the kids and fun for the fans so i like it it's a good fun on three on three different pace uh there's always some action going on it's it on it's really fun honestly 
yeah, it's nice that they have it at the Edmonton downtown arena. Uh, I you know we played the heavy hockey showdown. I guess it was still actually the Oilers live cup uh, at that time back in 2020, right before the pandemic. So it was pretty cool to be out there skating on the same ice that uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl practice on. Yeah, it, that that ice, it's it's a really good rink. They got a like those kids. I can't believe it. Like the Oil Kings, they got a sweet setup. <laughs> for sure and hopefully when we have the heavy hockey showdown in february this year you'll be able to come down to that yeah hopefully i can make it this time yeah i know you're a busy guy but i think it's it's that uh last weekend in february when they're going to have the battle of alberta on saturday night and we're going to play the heavy hockey showdown the following day on the sunday afternoon so yeah it should be a good weekend in Edmonton and um you know it's a th- that experience of going out to dev camp I'd really like to do that one of these years too and just I think to have that first look at uh, a lot of the new prospects into the system um like I said tonight we're going to be discussing a lot of those prospects and how they performed at the 2023 Young Stars Classic and what to expect from them this season uh, but first I just want to get your overall thoughts on the tournament uh, since there weren't any high-end prospects on the Oilers rookies like a McDavid or a Dreisaitl or even a Dylan Holloway who was hands down the best player at last year's tournament, uh, should the organization feel good about a 1-1-1 one, one one record considering they were up against some deeper prospect pools in Vancouver, Calgary, and Winnipeg? Yeah, I actually thought they were going to have a real tough time, especially they were deploying the two 18-year-old goalies in a day and... Uh, who was the other? Uh, his name slips my head right now. But the day is the actual Oilers prospect. Yeah, he was the prospect. The other one was the camp invite. And <clears throat> I thought they were actually going to get kind of thrown around, but they looked fine. Like uh, Steps Tulio has taken, Petrov, uh, a lot of those second-year guys, Savoy, they've stepped up. Warner, he stepped up. It's a lot of the late round guys are showing up for us but the little advantage they have is they are they do have that one year of pro and it's it's a it's a good sign honestly for this club because you want to without the only high pick was borgo and you get a win in a ot uh or was it a shootout i think it was a shootout loss and uh you honestly should be pretty happy with that because Winnipeg has a deep program. Uh, I like how Calgary has been drafted, unfortunately. And Vancouver has made strides, especially adding with uh, the Horvat trade, too. Right. And, you know, the Oilers lost their first game in regulation at this tournament since 2013 uh, when they dropped the the final game to the Canucks rookies uh, a couple Mondays ago. But you know, I was shocked when Jack Michaels put that stat out because I didn't realize that they had gone a decade without losing in regulation at this tournament. And a big part of that probably was that the Oilers were picking high in the draft year after year. So they had a fairly stacked uh, prospect pool at that time, or at least the high-end players who were picked in the first round. This year, it's it's a different situation. And as an Oilers fan, that's probably what you want to see because that means that the team is headed in the right direction. I think the Athletic ranked the Oilers prospect pool as one of the bottom three in the league. And, you know, you might think, well, you know, that's a, a bad sign that they don't have any you know, top end guys working up. But for me, that's where you want to be, because the the big club is actually contending for a Stanley Cup now. 
Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> it's fine because it's it's all about development. It's not about where you draft. It's kind of what you do after the draft that really matters in these kids' lives and what you do with them. Oh, definitely. Uh, I just think if the Oilers keep trading off their first round picks, which they should in the Connor mm-hmm. McDavid era, because any of these, even if you do pick a kid in, in, late in the first round, based on where the Oilers are expected to finish in the standings, rough estimate that player is still going to be three to four years away from even making the team, let alone having a chance to contribute in a meaningful way. So if I, you know, and a lot of other Oilers fans see these players being or these picks being moved on to upgrade the team at the trade deadline, then there's going to be more years like this at the tournament where they might come in with the weakest of the prospect pools. But that's a, a trade-off that I'm willing to take if the if the NHL club is still contending for Stanley Cups. Yeah, it's exactly. You should be trading those first-round picks if you can get an upgrade, a massive one that can push you towards that goal. And if it ends up in a disappointing uh, rookie camp, then I'm okay with yeah. that. <laughs> but but still, I wouldn't even call it disappointing. I mean, I believe the Jets rookies had four former first-round picks there. So uh, the Oilers were really up against it in that first game, and they heavily outshot them. I think it was 36-14 to 14 and picked up a 3-1 win, which was impressive. And uh, they dropped a 4-3 decision to the Flames rookies in overtime. Uh, But they fought back to tie that game three separate times, and they had a power play late in the third period, so they easily could have won it. And then against the Canucks rookies, you know, it it looked like they were a little worn down by playing that third game in four nights. And, uh, you know, but it was really only another one-goal loss if you take out the empty netter. So they were really in all three games right to the end. Yeah, I think that also has a lot of credit to do uh, in the Bakersfield staff. Because they get those kids and they like they all play hard and some of them know each other from the past years, too. But it shows like they know how to play together. And it's that something you got to give a hand to the coaches for. And what do you think about Colin Chalk taking over as the head coach in Bakersfield uh, about a year and a half ago when Jay Woodcroft was uh, promoted to the NHL head coaching job with the Oilers? Uh, He's been kind of he's gotten better uh he buried some of the kids on uh the bottom for a bit there and then once they started to get pushed up the lineup that's when Lavoie ultimately boomed and he had his turnout and then Tulio started scoring more and I think he started realizing like these kids are here to play and we should give them the ice time and that's always been the mentality I've had I mean Winning at the AHL level shouldn't be the biggest priority. It should be developing your top prospects, your NHL, legitimate NHL prospects. And, you know, I mean, for these coaches, they they still want to get noticed by NHL clubs and, and have a winning record themselves. But I don't think they should be sacrificing wins for necessarily giving players who need the ice time that important development time that they need. Yep, that's my thoughts exactly as well. You need to focus on getting those first, like your actual prospects that do have a chance of making a big impact towards your future. You need to get them the ice and put them in spots where they are a little uncomfortable and get them 
like challenge them. Make and even sure if they, they make a mistake, throw them back out there, right? Exactly. Let them learn from all that. It's a it's a learning development league, and then once they come to NHL, they should be ready. I'd rather them make their mistakes down there, you know, than when they get to the show. And the other thing is too, if it's a two-two game, uh, in the third period, and you have some veteran AHL players who are better offensively at this moment. That's when it comes to the decision time. Okay, do we put our better veteran players out there right now who give us a chance to win tonight? Or do we lean on the younger players who, even if they don't score on this power play, you're still putting them in that prime situation where the game is on the line and they're being the ones that are relied on? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line with uh, player development and also focusing on that winning culture down there. So it's it's a tough job that coaches uh ahl coaches have for sure and uh let's talk about some individual performances from the tournament now and we'll start with xavier borgo who was edmonton's only first round pick at the young stars classic this year he had two assists in three games but didn't find the back of the net in penticton Uh, spencer as the number one ranked prospect in the Oilers system were you expecting him to contribute more offensively or did you see enough positives in his game that you're not too overly concerned that he wasn't able to bury a goal or two? I wasn't too concerned. I liked his style of play. I think he's always been really good around along the boards. And that's where I think he'll be. Uh, that will translate the most to our team was getting the puck off the boards into those flying centers like a McLeod, uh, obviously Connor or even Dreisaitl. And the you want to see him dominate, but sometimes it's like those teams were good. Like they had deep rosters. A lot of them had their top guys, first round picks, early second round picks. And it is it was a little bit of a concern with the points, but I'm I'm fine. I've seen improvements in his game. He's still refined. Like his edge work is just amazing. Trying to he's slipping through. He's looking for Pat, like the perfect seam passes. It's he's something I'm still excited about. And I'm more excited to watch him this year in the A because then now it's his second year and you get a like Dylan Holloway has shown. Once you get that second year, then you got your taste. Now it's time and you see a big step. Yeah. And despite not scoring a goal in the tournament, I thought Borgo was still probably the Oilers rookie's best forward overall i mean he played on the top line he was a key uh, part of both the power play and penalty kill units Uh, his vision and puck skills were excellent those have always been you know really strong traits of his game i like the way he attacked the middle of the ice with speed there there was one time in the in the flames game where he made such a nice drive wide beat his man to the outside and cut to the right in front of the net for a prime scoring opportunity that he just didn't quite finish. And that would have been so great to see him get off the schneid and bury that one. Um, You know, he looks strong on the puck. I think he's just stronger in general this year, if that's something that I've noticed. I I believe he mentioned that he added some muscle in the off season in uh, one of his interviews before he headed out to Penticton. And uh, there were a few times where it looked like he had a clear lane to the net and passed it off instead. So I would have liked to see him shoot a bit more, especially on that five on three power play they had against the Jets rookies late in the third period. You know, he was just wheeling and dealing around the offensive zone. And if there were, it seemed like he would cut to the middle, 
they were, the defense was anticipating the shot and then he'd make that one extra pass. And I'm like, you've walked right in. You're only about 15, maybe 20 feet out. Just let it rip and see what happens. So I thought he was deferring a little bit too much. Uh, so, you know, but while it would have been nice to see him score a couple of goals in the tournament, I'm still encouraged that he was getting plenty of chances. Yeah, that was my thought, too, where I thought, especially he seemed, especially on the power play, look for Petrov a ton. That was kind of his goal is look for Petrov on the flank and set him up for that big one timer. They both have good one timers, though, too. You know, in that Flames game, uh, there was a nice pass from behind that. And I can't remember who set him up. But he was right in the low circle, sort of where Dreisaitl likes to set up for his one-timer. Not not as aggressive as an angle <laughs> yeah. as Leon can fired home from. But he, he put a puck on net. The goalie stopped it, and the rebound came right out to him, and he ripped another one-timer. And I'm like, that's the, the type of shot that I want to see from him. Keep using it. So I, I don't know if he was just going into more of a, a playmaking mentality at this tournament, but... Really, he is a goal scorer, and that's what he was drafted for. He was drafted to be a shooter for this team, and um, you know, like I said, he had chances, but it, just, it it would have been nice to see him fire one or two home. Yeah, and it's tough because it's you only get the three game sample, so if it's somebody small, it's has, a small sample, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 so hard to judge, and it's not. They just get together now. Some of them like they've played together, like Tulio and Borgo. Like some of them have, but it's. Generally, all new line mates, and this is your one crack. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you and I don't have an opportunity to talk about the the prospects too often, because normally when I've had you on the show, we've been talking about the Oilers. But uh, when they drafted him two years ago, what did you think of the pick at the time? Because now there's been some criticism that, okay, maybe they should have taken... Wallstead, the goalie, went to Minnesota, or even Wyatt Johnson, who went a couple picks later and is now a top six forward in Dallas. I think that's sometimes revisionist history, where uh, you're you're looking at how they are through, you know, tw- it's not 2020 vision at the time when you're drafting. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, he, you look at what he had. I believe he had 20 goals in 29 games in his draft year in the a pandemic shortened season. Wyatt Johnson had only played seven games in his draft year. So uh, I think there might have been a lot of people who freaked out if they picked a kid with that small of a of a sample in, in his year where he's being looked at as a first round pick. And with, uh, with Wallstead, they already had goalies like uh, Skinner and even Konovalov was still in the system at that time, as well as Rodrigue. So maybe they didn't feel like they wanted to take a goalie. But just going back now, it's like I said, you, we can look at who they might have or should have taken or whatever. But I still was a, a fan of the pick on day one. And I think that Borgo will contribute for the Oilers down the road. Just I want to get a thought from you. What did you think of the pick at the time? And where is he at two years later? I was when they traded down, I was a little sour because I was on the team Wallstead. I just thought he would have been a solid like we've always wanted this all star goalie. And I really liked I'm not a the best goalie guru out there, but I liked <laughs> he's a he seems pretty promising, but it's all the like, goalies are tough. And do you think they would have picked Kosa if he was still available? I think they would have definitely looked at him. Like, because it's the just, Red Wings took him right before, right? Yeah, at 15. He yeah. was, yeah, they, I think they would have. I think that's what, like, Stoffer was talking about that. I don't know 
don't quote me on that, but I, I think, think he did mention yeah. it, that if he, if he would have still been available before the Red Wings scooped him up. But uh, overall, you're, you're still a fan of where yep. uh, Borg goes at at this point. Yeah, I actually, uh, it was the pandemic, so work was down. I got to watch some extra hockey. I was mm-hmm. watching some of the queue, and I had him as my second-ranked guy. I didn't mind him at all. He, I liked his game throughout the whole year, and now where I've seen is he's the same he's the same style of player from the queue, but now translate on the pro, which is a good sign because the queue, usually they have troubles transitioning to the NHL. It's and, a higher scoring league for sure. And, and mm-hmm. if you do the NHL equivalency calculator, often I think the numbers from the queue are lower when you uh, do the, the translation than say the OHL or the WHL. But uh, you know, I, I'm, I think that he has, you know, taken steps forward and that's good to see that, you know, he's, he's still got those goal scoring instincts and that's going to be the, probably the biggest positive for him going forward. Yeah. And I've really, I noticed he also has a little bit more pep in his stride. It was more, he was more reliant on the edges, kind of uh, slow down, get around people, but now he's keep picking up his feet, doing some more crossovers to get going and then stopping kind of buying some time and that's in his board work like i said earlier is what i really like about him for sure and borgo scored 13 goals and 34 points as an ahl rookie with the bakersfield condors last season Uh, spencer are you expecting borgo to become a point per game player at the ahl level this year and do you think he could get into some nhl games as well I think the NHL games part, it is going to be a tough one because you would picture Lavoie, I think right now, is just ahead of him. And scored uh, a big goal in a preseason yeah, game tonight. Was... I mean, we're, we're recording this on Saturday night. The the Oilers did lose uh, 5-2 to the Canucks tonight in a, a game where they didn't dress a, a lot of their stars. But probably that was the, the one big moment for Oilers fans tonight was that snipe off the rush for, by um, uh, Raphael Lavoie. Yeah, that was a it was a great shot too, and I liked mm. how uh, he's not quite a he's he's still a prospect. Uh, Broberg, he just took the puck and attacked. He just went, created a two on one. Yeah, those were the Oilers' uh, first and second round picks in 2019. So to see those two combine for a goal, I think we'd like to see that a few more times this season. Oh, I sure hope so, and uh, and not in Bakersfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, sorry to, to cut you off. You were saying yeah. about uh, Borgo uh, becoming a, a point-per-game player in the, the minors and also having a shot to get into some big game lineups. Yeah, I think you might be able to see. It depends on injury. So, yeah, that always is the main thing. Uh, Derek Ryan's getting a bit older. He's on the He's on the small side for hockey, so how much physical contact can he take? Is he going to take some games off? Uh, I think as I think he'll be close to a point per game. It also like I'm worried about the opportunity. What kind of players is he going to be with? Is it going to be kind of are they going to start with him on a third line instead of starting him in the top six? But I do believe with this youth movement, he will get a good shot, good opportunity. And I think point per game is definitely not out of the question for him at the AHL level. But I would probably say just under, maybe like a 0.85, 0.8 around there. Yeah. I mean, Borgo got off to a great start last season with six points in his first seven games. And then he had a few extended stretches where he struggled to put up many points. 
though he finished really strong with 12 points in his last 14 games. So I think he went into the summer feeling good about himself. And that's the pace I'd like to see him maintain for 30 to 40 games in the AHL before the Oilers think about recalling him. And he turns 21 in October, which is an age when offensive players usually start to come into their own. So I think Borgo will play on the Condors top line and first power play in it this year. And if he's on a line with guys like Drake Kajula or Lane Peterson, who both have NHL experience, that should only further increase his numbers. Um, at the same time, the Oilers are pushing, as we talked about off the top of the show, to win a Stanley Cup this year. So breaking in a raw rookie in the middle of a season when you're looking to contend is is often going to be tough. But that being said, if he can step up offensively and become one of the, the top scorers in Bakersfield, then I think Borgo could be in Edmonton at some point this year if there's an injury on the big club. Yeah, I think I I always look at I love seeing a low tide his projections when he yeah he's team. one of the best I I love to read yep. his prospect files yeah his uh he always has the preseason projections or preview of the Oilers and I think he had Borgo get in a couple games and I always try his projections he has he, the proof is in the pudding he's pretty close on some of them <laughs> yeah I mean the thing is. It, if there's an injury, you would think that the first call-up would be a guy like Kajula or maybe even Sam Gagne, depending if he signs and when he's ready to play. Uh, we, we also don't know how the situation with Brandon Sutter is going to shake out. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be willing to go down to the minors for a month or two and get his game in order after not playing for a couple of years? I would think that all three of these guys would probably be ahead of Borgo on the pecking order right now. Because, you know, these are all guys with years of NHL experience who can, uh, who have played at this level, who have played in big games. And for Borgo, like I said, I think the best thing is for him to have at least half a season down there where he's really piling up the points and showing that he's a dominant player at that level. And knowing Ken Holland's history with young players and prospects as well, I don't think he's going to be wanting to rush Borgo to the NHL either. No, I think just put him right in the AHL right now to start. Give him all the time in the world. Give him the opportunities. And just because it's it's tough because you don't want him kind of stuck like Holloway playing 10 minutes a night, not every game. It's it's when especially when he didn't have the amount of opportunities he could have had. And there's just I I think Lavoie's in front of him still. And you would think, especially seeing Petter, that uh, Lane Peterson on the first power play tonight still, they, I mean, Woodcroft might like him, and I haven't minded him the way he can move his feet. But, and I do think they like Sutter. It's looking like he might get a contract here. So I just think there's a little bit too much in front of him right now. Yeah. And speaking of Holloway, you know, he made the team out of camp last year didn't produce a lot of offense, was kind of uh, mostly in the bottom six for the the majority of the season, other than a shift here or there with uh, McDavid. Uh, But overall, I think that he is going to be pushing for a top six spot down the road. Borgo, you know, knowing his skill set, I think that was the goal when they picked him 22nd overall two years ago, is that he would eventually be you know, working his way into that type of a position as well. Do you see Holloway and Borgo having sort of similar offensive ceilings, or I won't even say one better than the other in terms of what they bring overall, but do you think that just 
their offensive abilities are going to be fairly even at the next level? Uh, I think they kind. I think Holloway has a little bit more to give just because he. I see Borgo as a really good complimentary, complimentary kind of. Uh, he needs somebody with uh, pace to push back defense, and he can slide in. When Holloway, he he drives. He wants the puck. Yeah. He wants to push back. He'll and then he'll stop up. Look. Holloway to me has always since was Wisconsin. I wouldn't even like I liked him at center because of what he did in his second year, and he's still a winger here, and he's still excellent on the wing. And I don't believe he should play center because the only spot is the fourth line. And the Oilers are so deep at center already. I mean, they've had mm-hmm. to move Nugent Hopkins to the wing because they have so many centers. Just if you think about it on the roster, McDavid, Drysaddle, McLeod, you've got Derek Ryan. Uh, uh, you, you have, we said McLeod, uh, Lane Peterson can play center. We don't even know if he's going to make the team. So when you're talking about, you know, potentially six centers on this roster, there's there's a lot of options there. And I just think that with Dylan Holloway's speed and the, the fact that he, you know, he plays like he's like, a, he almost reminds me a lot of Taylor Hall stylistically. So I, I'm not saying he's going to put up the same sort of numbers at the NHL level as Hall, but I just think that that's the kind of guy you want to have on the wing. Yeah, I I just like him anywhere, and I want him. I would love him <laughs> somewhere in hopefully the top nine, but but we'll see. He had an incredible game against Calgary. I was so. gonna say he scored a nice game tying goal yeah. late in the game, and he's just like every every year of his career has come up because he was in the AJHL every time. Uh, AJHL second year is a breakout, and then college second year breakout. AHL and his second That's year true. pro it will be. It's he just gets better. He feels he, once he, he needs gets that first year to, to get un, under his belt, and then he can really take off. Yeah, he's he just ec- excellent at learning, and then and then yeah. his feel out there is incredible. Always nice to see a kid from Calgary score a goal for the Oilers against the Flames, too, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's the best. <laughs> I made that joke last night uh, on Twitter. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, if Borgo was Edmonton's best forward at the Young Stars Classic, then Matt Bay Petrov was probably right behind him. Petrov had a goal in three points in three games. Spencer, uh, playing in this tournament for the second time, Petrov was a difference maker for the Oilers rookies, wasn't he? Yeah, he's he like that's him and Borgo would work well. Like he Petrov loves to just push the pace. He's awesome when he just gets going. But then there is that odd time where he can kind of corner himself, get a little bit too much speed. But it's just the way sometimes when he can just get wheeling around that offensive zone and then watching his one timer, it's his offensive potential is through the roof. I just a little bit of his uh, decision making still. I noticed at the young stars uh, off puck and sometimes the effort has gotten so much better since uh, his first season in the O and he's another player that continues to progress. And that's all you hope for, especially as a sixth round pick. He's about as good as they come right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Petrov might be the best dual threat offensively in the Oilers system. He has a lethal shot, which 
he showed on that game tying power play goal against the Flames rookies. Yep. Uh, and that was the probably the best moment of the entire tournament, uh, at least for me. I mean, that one timer will beat NHL goalies in the future. So that was great to see. And uh, he's also a solid playmaker. He makes a lot of creative passes. Uh, I thought he protected the puck well along the boards. He has a big frame and he skates well. He continually turned over pucks. He applied solid back pressure. And uh, Petrov looked dangerous every time he had the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. He also hit a post and uh, he had a couple other near misses. So he easily could have finished that tournament with three or four goals in Penticton, couldn't he? Yeah, he and his progression with his his uh, pass and like you said, is his dual threat when his first... Uh, his first year, he's playing with Brandon Coe a lot. Yeah. Uh, he's a uh, San Jose pick, and he kind of was the shooter. But then next year, Brandon Coe wasn't there, and Petrov just took the playmaking duties under. And that's when he had his breakout assist season. And ever since then, you just see the manip- manipulation where he'll fake a shot and then pass it off. And it's going to trick a lot of players because his shot is that deadly, where you have to... You have to respect him because he can get it off from anywhere off in his the one time can get off of any foot, any like anywhere the puck is near him. He can get it off. So you got to respect that. And then when he dishes it off, it's he can he is off. Like I said, his offensive potential is just through the roof right now. Without a doubt. I mean, uh, it's like, you you know, you mentioned him playing with Brandon Coat with him gone. Now it was. Petrov's time to really step up and be the offensive driver for that team last season. And the other thing is, too, Stoffer mentioned that Petrov was playing through a lingering injury all year that affected his shooting. So I think that that probably also was a factor to why he was passing more, because he might have not had the strength or the power in his wrist to get the shot off that he did the previous year. But it showed that he is able to be versatile and that, you know, he can be a, a effective playmaker as well. So when you have both of those skills that are fairly equal, goalies are going to have to respect the shot, but they also, the defense is going to not have to play him, you know, too tight because he can also slide a pass over to an open man. And uh, when you have that ability to be a, a goal scorer and a setup guy, that's, that's really valuable. And uh, Petrov is coming off back-to-back 90 point seasons with the North Bay battalion and the OHL. Uh, he could have played in the AHL last year because uh, he came from Europe, but I think that the Oilers made the right decision sending him back to junior for another year. Do you expect him to start in a bottom six role and move up the lineup later in the season? Or could you think that because of his offensive skills combined with his physical stature, that that will allow him to play in a featured role right out of the gate? I think it might. Uh, it's tough because it's he was also the best looking player at the billion morris cup and it's it's tough because when you watch him he just provides so much but then like it's almost the borgo with the nhl problem where they have if lavoie doesn't make the team and pass clears waivers they got borgo lavoie uh tulio savoy so all those guys gotta get and There's only so many spots in the top six. Exactly. So it's going to be. And a be, lot of these guys are the same age, too. It's not like they're at different points of their development. Yeah. And the main thing is that they're all wingers, too, a lot of them. There's not, we don't really have a, a center prospect like uh, McLeod that was. was the, that was the mentality of the Tyler mm-hmm. Wright era, right? And, you know, yep. I'll, I'll have you back on uh, next summer to talk about 
uh, the upcoming draft because it'll be uh, Rick Pracy's first draft with the organization. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's going to take several years to really see how Tyler Wright did yeah, during I his agree. time in Edmonton. I mean, he was here for four drafts. So we'll, you know, you, you need, I think, at least five years to really look back and evaluate how the organization did with their picks. But I think that the mentality with Ken Holland and Tyler Wright was to find wingers who could put the puck in the net that had the they could potentially play with McDavid or Dreisaitl down the road. And whenever they had an opportunity to pick a player uh, with their first pick, that was always what they were going for first, other than Broberg in 2019. But other than that, they've been looking for those players, even later in the draft with guys like Tulio and Savoy, like finding guys who can shoot, shoot, shoot. And, you know, with two world-class playmakers, like I said, the two best players in the world, you, if you can find some guys who can score on cheap entry-level deals, that's huge for this organization. Yeah, exactly. And going back to the point is that's it, it is good that they did that because you gotta. It's especially with the picks they did have. It's usually the later rounds, so you gotta take your shots. And a lot of players don't, a lot of prospects don't turn out. So you gotta, if you hit on one, then that's an absolute. <laughs> Like, Not all of these kids we're going to talk about tonight will make it. Exactly. So even if you hit on one or two, that's an, a gold mine if they play exactly. any time in the top six. And yeah, that's why I'm so intrigued this year because you have a Petrov pushing because they're all just going to. And like you said, they're in the same age group. They're going to push each other and it's going to create a fun environment, a competitive environment and a better team. You know, I think Low Tide wrote about this for The Athletic sometime last year that Petrov's numbers looked similar to Devin Setaguchi at the same age. And there he looked at uh, Setaguchi's prime years and he averaged, I believe, 22 goals a season over a five or six year span when he was right at his peak. And he, and Lotide made the point, if Petrov can be a 22 goal scorer for the Oilers uh, at some point in his 20s, that would be huge because, I mean, they already have a lot of high-end players as well. But to get a player who was picked late in the draft and can come in and be a 20-plus goal scorer for you, that would help so much. Yeah, that's a, and especially sixth round, that's a it's grand like finding slam gold. pick. That is the, that is an, that would be A++. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that, you know, he's viewed as a sixth round steal. But Petrov mm-hmm. was a much better prospect than that, even on his draft day. Because let's keep in mind, he was the first overall pick in the 2020 CHL import draft. And I think the main reason that he was picked 180th overall in the NHL draft was because there weren't many eyes on him playing in the Russian Junior League during the pandemic. So, yes, you know, he was an excellent late round selection by the Oilers. But I really believe that if there wasn't, um, if NHL scouts would have been able to get over there and see him live more, that he would have been picked a lot earlier because you don't go first overall uh, in an import draft for nothing. There's, there's obviously some skill there. And, you know, I mean, I could see him spending two years or maybe just a year and a half in the AHL and then pushing for a spot with the Oilers, but he's a promising prospect. And I think that his skills will translate to the AHL, especially if he's, if he has an opportunity to play on a skilled line. Yep. That's my main thing is I'm just hoping he gets opportunity. 
And let's not forget that that was the pick that the Oilers were looking to trade to the Toronto Maple Leafs for uh, Hyman, for, right. for Hyman. Yeah. Because, because the Oilers wanted to keep uh, Hyman's cap hit down and they were going to send them a sixth round pick uh, in return for, you know, having a, I think they were going to get it down from five and a half to five million if it would have been an eight year deal. So, I mean, at the end of the day, half a million isn't going to be the end of the world, especially with the cap going up next summer. But uh, I, I do find uh, uh, that a little bit funny and uh, also a, a good thing for the Oilers that uh, this kid uh, who, who could have been a Leafs prospect uh, ends, <laughs> ends up lighting up the OHL right in their own backyard. And I, I hope the first time the Oilers play the Leafs, he scores against them. Oh, that'd be just that would be magical. <laughs> a, a gift. Uh, one of the final gifts from, uh, um, oh, why is the name escaping me of the the Leafs former GM, uh, Kyle, Kyle Dubas. Dubas. Kyle Dubas. Yeah. For one of his his last final parting gifts uh, was not uh, wanting to help out the Oilers in keeping their cap hit down. So hey, we'll we'll take Hyman. He's scored 27 and 36 goals in his two years with the Oilers. Plus, we were able to get one of the our top prospects in the organization. Exactly. We'll take that. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Bo Akey was clearly the standout player for the Oilers rookies at the Young Star Classic. And what's even more impressive is that he was the youngest skater on the team at just 18 years old. Akey had a goal and three points in three games. Uh, Spencer, Akey really stole the show at this event, didn't he? Yeah, he he doesn't play like an 18-year-old. He just oozes confidence. He's He knows. He's just a guy. Like He knows he's like the best skater out there all the time. It's fun watching him because he just he'll go in every rush. He'll jump. And I think it also helped having Brent Clark be there because you mm-hmm. you get to watch how like Clark top. I think he was eighth overall to L.A. And yep. you can just you pick up the tendencies and like Aki's a way better skater than Clark in my books. And if he can just like if you just learn the thing, the little things that Clark has, like the stick handling, the senses, I think Aki will just and with Clark gone now, he gets opportunity and he is just going to blow it out of the water. He has a he had an awesome start to the season already. And are there are there two more important skills that you look for in any prospect other than hockey sense and skating ability? I. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the most like if you got those two that usually that usually makes the world go round. But sometimes if you're a good skater, that doesn't mean you're a good hockey player. Like I always look at Ryan O'Reilly's a fun explanation. He's not a he's not the best skater you'll ever see, but he just knows where to go, where to be. Patrice Bergeron, another one. Uh, I always remember like there's a ton of fast guys like uh, Joachim Nygaard, uh, legendary oiler from Ken Holland's first days, was a great skater. Yeah. But sometimes it's what I like to look for most is just how are you able to buy time for yourself? Because once you buy time, everybody in the NHL is a world class player. And as for Aki, you think he fits that? Oh, he it's it, he does because he he recognizes space and when to go. And when to, it also helps that, like, the skating is so elite that if he does make a mistake, it's kind of. He, he can trusts. recover quickly. And exactly. Get and he, and the best thing is he knows it. So he's, he plays with the confidence of, I can, I can get back. And that's what his 
hockey sense in that way is just knowing what you can do when you can is such a key key trait and he showed it like and his i was really impressed with his shot too actually at the uh tournament and his passing again like he is just i thought he was gonna be a first round pick this year but he fell to 56 and i'm thankful it it was yeah i I mean to say that the Oilers didn't have a first-round pick this year after trading it away to the Nashville Predators in the Matthias Ekholm trade, I think that Oilers fans can feel pretty good about getting Aki as they're not their first-round pick, but their first pick in this year's draft. Yeah, and they should. He is just—I'm excited. He has top four written all over him if everything pans out. Yeah, I mean, I think he was the player that Oilers fans were most excited to watch at this tournament. And I mean, th- this was his first time playing uh, in an Oilers uniform, even though it's a, an unofficial debut. But I mean, he did not disappoint at all. Like we said, uh, his skating is outstanding. He has tremendous vision. He looked so poised with the puck. He reads the play so well. Uh, he picked up a goal and assist in the Oilers rookies first game against the Jets rookies. And I thought he showed excellent offensive awareness on the power play to see that open lane. And he was able to skate right into it, which led to his insurance marker. I mean, those are the kind of instincts you you can't teach. And I mean, we've already talked about the, you know, the sublime skating that he has uh, both Mm -hmm. forward and backwards. So uh, just to see all these skills coming together in such a young player, it's really encouraging. And I mean, this is a player that I already had high hopes for. And I came away from this tournament even more excited about his future with the team than I was on the day they drafted him back in June. Yeah, I was even more excited after that first preseason game, too. He played, well, his one and only. Uh, Great for showing, though. I mean, like we said, you don't want to read too much into an early preseason game that isn't full of, you know, NHL caliber players yet. But it was still his technical pro debut. And the fact that he was able to have such a a standout performance, that's a good sign. And then I think that was also the right time to send him back to Bakersfield. Just get him into that one preseason game. He played really well. And then you send him back to junior feeling great about himself. Yeah, exactly. And he gets just a little taste of what pro is like. Mm -hmm. And then send him down while the season is still extremely early. Have him get, because he's going to get every opportunity on Barry. So may as well just let him have some fun down there. Yeah. I mean, uh, Aki tallied uh, 47 points in 66 games with the Barry Colts in the OHL last season. And he already has two points in three games since the Oilers sent him back. He had a a multi-point game in their 3-1 win over the North Bay Battalion last night. Uh, What do you think or what type of numbers do you think he could reach this year? And do you think he has a good shot to make Team Canada at the World Juniors this Christmas? Ooh, that's a good question. He, he for the numbers, I think, especially with Grant Clark gone, I think he could be up there, like just under a hair of a point per game. But he could also explode and be a point per game because he is gonna, he is that back end right now, and the way he like. He never scared to jump into the play, and especially in the OT the other night. Uh, it's three on three, mind you, but it's just like I said earlier, the confidence. He has the confidence to step in, and they'll give him the green light. 
especially like he's got a big help there in their pick in Edward Saleh. Their, uh, where did he go? He was their 29th pick in the import. And of course, he was Seattle's 20th overall pick in this year's uh, NHL draft. So those two will have a great connection. I can't. I, the one thing I am worried about is the team isn't the deepest. So you are sometimes only as good as your teammates. Right. But he'll get the first power play opportunity. He'll get all the minutes. And I think he's good enough to at least push for a point per game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he should average a point per game or better in the OHL this season. If you look at his splits from his draft year, Aki had 28 points in his first 33 games as a 17-year-old defenseman in the best junior league in the world. And then after the LA Kings sent Clark back to junior, he lost his spot on the first power play unit and he dropped to 19 points in his final 33 games. But now he's the man in Barry, and I fully expect that we're going to see his offensive game take off this season. Uh, and he did mention in an interview at Rookie Camp that making Team Canada is one of his goals. And um, I think as a smooth skating, right shot offensive defenseman, he will be in the mix for a spot on the team. I'm sure that you have a better idea of who he's up against for those spots. But the good thing is that he's eligible to play in the World Juniors in 2024 and 2025. Yeah, he'll definitely don a World Junior sweater. This year, I'm trying to picture who's going to be on their blue line but it is it is tough because he is every time i watch him he's like and it's early on so he still has a couple months to progress and impress and he's just always getting better there's always something he's learning and he's just he's every time i see him there's just something he does a bit better yeah uh, definitely a big part of uh, the oilers future Okay, let's move on to local product Carter Savoy now, who led the Oilers rookies in scoring with a goal and four points in three games. Spencer, anyone who's followed Savoy over the past few years knows that he has a wicked shot, and that one high-end skill could get him to the NHL someday. But what do you think that, sorry, what do you think we saw from Savoy in this tournament, aside from his goal-scoring ability, that makes you confident about his game going forward? I I honestly just his skills with the puck like whether it's like he's another just excellent passer where if it's on his stick you have to watch out uh he can make a pass like you said he's in world class like his shot is awesome but you're also starting to see a little bit more capability of keeping pressure on his back cuz he is a little bit stockier at I I think he's still coming in at 59 and he won't get taller, unfortunately. He so, did mention that he cut weight in the offseason because I know that mm-hmm. his... Yeah, um, I've seen that. Th- those, were, those were some concerns about him that we, we heard when he was making the jump from the AJHL to college hockey. It was um, Maybe his training and nutrition wasn't quite up to where it needed to be, but it's encouraging that he said that you know he's, he's dropped some weight and that he's, you know, he looked quick to me out there. Yeah, it's his first few steps that have gone a bit better. I still a little a little bit concerned about his top speed, but if he can just like he's really good at playing in space. I still believe and he has a little bit of the injury problem, especially last yeah. year where this is a big year to just hopefully he can stay healthy and see the ice a lot and play on cuz whenever he'll if him if he's on a flank of a power play and it's either Petrov on the other side or Borgo it's going to be 
he's going to get those opportunities, I believe, this year. And like I said, I am a fan of the way he just plays in space, the way he, if you leave him open for a second in the slot, like it's going to be a goal. It's And he can find that space. Sometimes when the puck's on his stick, though, it can kind of, if somebody comes at him and he doesn't quite have the speed or another option, he just kind of fires it away. And that's my only concern. And I haven't seen much of a progress in his in his top, top speed. But like I said, the injuries and the weight cut is in weight cuts are a little bit. I feel personally slept on for the difficulty of adjustments it takes because it's your body still has to get used, whether it's gaining or cutting. Yeah. And I mean, like he's always looking to attack offensively. I, I mm-hmm. thought he, he, you know, he tracks the puck well and, uh, you know, he can get shots off in tight spaces. We saw that on the goal he scored where there was just a puck retrieval behind the net. He had limited space, but they gave him one chance in right in the slot and he buried it. So that's, you know, his bread and butter. That's what's going to, like I said, hopefully get him to the NHL one day. I don't know if it'll be on a, a top six line, but, you know, if he's a if he's a third line uh, offensive contributor, maybe on a, you know, on Ryan McLeod's wing down the road or something like that, you know, that just makes you have a, a more more skill in your bottom six. And I, I also mentioned this on another episode that uh, McLeod could help him take a step forward at, at the NHL level, but also uh, Savoy could be a player that helps Ryan McLeod sort of thrive offensively too. So there's, there's going to be a, you know, an opportunity for him eventually. I, I don't think that he's on their radar to make the, the league anytime soon. I, I, I would fully expect he's going to spend at least two more years. I yeah. would say in June, especially because last year, how last year went, I mean, he had a fantastic college career at the University of Denver, but Savoy only had eight goals and 11 points in 44 games in his rookie pro season, though he did become just the second rookie in Condor's history to um, score a hat-trick last year. But he battled a couple injuries, including one at last year's Young Stars Classic. Uh, Spencer, do you just think staying healthy might be the main key to uh, um, unlocking his offensive game this season? Yeah, that's what I think. It's just hope get get in those games because you can see like each year at Denver, he's, he took a step and then he had after his second year went right into the AHL, played the two games. He didn't look in his first two games. He definitely was overwhelmed with the pace. But and then coming into this year, I will last year that. Yeah, he sustained that. Uh, I think it was his shoulder, right? He had a, a shoulder injury. I think yeah, he, it was his shoulder. He, I think he also had something with his ankle, and I believe yep. he had a concussion too. Yeah. Like, so when you're main... talking about three separate injuries throughout the year, especially one before the season even starts in, in this tournament we're talking about, it just feels like you never have a chance to really get going. So that's when I said, mm-hmm. could staying healthy be the biggest key for him? Just you know, starting the season off feeling good about your game. Yep, that's the main thing. It's just consistently playing. Because if when you're getting hurt all the time, you can't get into a rhythm. You're out of the lineup. You then when you're yeah. back in, you don't know if it's the same line mates. Especially if it's your first year, you don't know many players there as as it is. You haven't played with them before, and then this is just hopefully this year. It's just stay healthy, play all the minutes you can, and learn from it. 
Yeah, I mean, look at Evander Kane last year. Yeah, uh, the pr- the previous season, he was great with McDavid uh, for that final 41 games of the regular season, and even better in the playoffs when he led the league in playoff goals. But this uh, this past season, he gets uh, a devastating injury earlier in the year where he misses three months. He comes back after a laceration in his wrist. Well, of course, it's going to take him a while. And this is a more extreme example, I realize, but it did it didn't allow him to feel right about his game all year. And I'm hoping that, you know, coming into this fall, Kane will be uh, back on track or at least closer to where he was two years ago. And uh, similar for uh, Savoy, you'd like to see him get back to being that uh, productive goal scorer that he was in Denver. Yeah. And especially a full summer of health, like you're training instead of just rehabbing. That's yeah. always a massive positive. And you can come into training camp on a good step. And then now that he's down with Bakersfield, you can just focus on, okay, I'm developing this year, not have a focus on, oh, I have to make the NHL. No, just get, right. get better, get healthy, get on my track. Sort of the same as what we talked about for uh, Borgo earlier. Just mm-hmm. become a dominant player at that level first. And, mm-hmm. you know, worry about establishing yourself at the AHL level and eventually an NHL opportunity will open up for you. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, and the chances of a seventh round pick playing even one game in the NHL are extremely low. However, Vincent Dayarnay beat the odds by earning a recall to the Oilers in January last season. And now it looks like the Oilers might have found another seventh round gem in Max Warner. Spencer, what stood out to you the most about Warner at this year's tournament? It's every any time I watch Warner, it is the offense that just keeps popping up and he just gets more confident and knows when to pinch. And now he's just he's taking the puck. Like I was most impressed with when uh, last year. Even he was playing with Darnell Nurse for a few games in the preseason, I believe. And he just, he learns from that. And each game, like, those those are my favorite type of prospects, is you see the progression each, every little game, each month you go and check in. It's like, oh, this is something new they do. This is something they've added. And it's just constantly adding new ways to add offense to his game. and. The best I thing that I've noticed at especially at the prospects tournament was he just activate activates down the wall and then he'll make a play from that either pass it. Uh, I hate I don't I don't hate but sometimes when players uh, D men just grab the puck off the wall off a little forward exchange and uh, shoot it right on net. I sometimes think that's just kind of a waste of a play with one or Hill take it, try to skate around the net or stop up and make a play from it, make a pass, make something more than just a little lazy kind of shot. And that's what I've really enjoyed about his progression right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought he had a strong defensive tournament. You know, he's got the long mm-hmm. reach. His skating is good for a big man. He can shut down the rush um, and the cycle. You know, he just continues to play well in all areas of the, the ice. Uh, when you are yep. able to get a, a a defenseman who can contribute in all three zones uh that's that's big and you talked about his offensive game continuing to grow he only went up seven points last season from the year before with the moose jaw warriors and the whl but he did it in 11 fewer games so if he would have played the full season you know he likely uh probably would have been 
over 40 points, maybe pushing for 50 points in a, you know, a full 68 game season. But uh, really encouraged from what I've seen from this kid. Uh, I, I love the move that he made at the point. He sort of, I believe it was the game against uh, Vancouver. He he made a nice deke at the line and cut into the middle uh, for a good shot right in the right from about the the hash marks. And to see that sort of confidence in his game to take that chance, that's really encouraging as well. Uh, he logged an assist on the power play. Uh, you know, this is a, a kid who, you know, when you're picking in the seventh round, you don't know what you're getting. But the fact that he's already established himself as one of the Oilers top 10 prospects that's a that's a really great sign for the future and you know he's also a Saskatchewan kid so I love to see that <laughs> yeah exactly Ed I, I and speaking about his defensive game is he's so quick on closeouts too as a big man is he just wants to be on that guy quick and I that's one of my favorite thing about a demon defensively is how quick can they get to that puck carrier when it's a set in zone set in or uh in zone environment i guess and he's also uh, a similar build to darnell nurse too i mean you uh, darnell's mm-hmm. a little bit taller darnell's more six four six five max warner's six three uh but he's six three and 184 pounds he could easily add 20 plus pounds to that frame i think that by the time he's in the nhl he will be well over 200 pounds yeah yeah that's exactly what i'm thinking too and even going back to the uh points part was yeah. he played with uh Matejchuk in junior so and Matejchuk's a 12th overall pick to uh Columbus and he eats up all the power play time so i wasn't expecting even much of a point jump for Warner but he proved me wrong and he like 7 points in 11 less games like he had a great step up last season yeah Definitely. And uh, the Warriors were a pretty good team last year, too. So that's a mm-hmm. that's good for him to be a part of that. Uh, and like we said, we've seen Warner's game steadily improve in each season. He's played with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Now he's about to turn pro. While I expect that he will start his pro career on the third pairing, Warner should be an important piece on the Condors blue line for the next few years, shouldn't he? Yeah, he should, especially until uh, Aki ages out of the ohl Warner's mm-hmm. gonna be he's our he's him and kemp are the options right now on the back right side yeah definitely he, i mean he might sorry, play uh yeah he might play a bigger role in a quicker a pop-up in the nhl quicker than we think with you never know what can happen with injuries or contracts or anything yeah, and I mean, I think five years from now, if the Oilers' right side on the blue line is Evan Bouchard, Bo Aiki, and Max Warner, we'll be pretty happy with that. Oh, I'd be, I'd love that. <laughs> okay, uh, Ty Tulio showed a lot of hustle and intensity in the tournament, but struggled to get going offensively, despite seeing some time on the power play. Spencer, I know he can impact the game in more ways than just producing points, but did Tulio leave you wanting more at the Young Stars Classic? Yeah, a a little. I always I've been a Tulio fan since day one, and he's always been an average producer. But then when you see like he has such a excellent shot, the power he can get behind it is just 
it's wicked. And then any anywhere, he's almost like Petrov in that way, where he can get the one timer, he can shoot off a front foot, back foot. But it's it was a little uh, disappointing to see him not take that step up in production again, especially with because Con- the Oilers did send like they got a it's a good power play with Borgo, Petrov, yeah. Tulio. And then Aki at the top, like that is a really good power play to be sent to the tournament. And you do expect, a, especially being an older prospect, you would, uh, well, no, I don't mean older, but one of the 20. older ones. Yeah. So yeah. you kind of hope to see that jump, but I've never wanted him to be a big point producer. Oh, sorry. He's 21, 21. Yeah. He's, he's oh, an O2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you you mean in this yeah. in this type of event, yes, he would be considered one of the older players there. Yeah, exactly. And you you hope like that your older prospects do look better, but he just he's hard on the forecheck. He gives a consistent effort. He plays on he'll play on your penalty kill. He's just uh he's just a winner. He wants to win, and that's what I I personally look for him is like how much I look at him as more of a fourth line kind of Archibald almost. And I just look to see his steps in not quite points, but in the more likelihood of him getting to the NHL yeah. and that progression. I see him as a player who's going to be a gritty pain in the ass to play against. You know, he's going to dig pucks out of the corner. He's going to not be afraid to get into mm-hmm. a scrum. Um, he'll probably score some some greasy goals in the crease, but he, like you said, he also has uh, a good enough one timer that if he does get you know a clean look, he might be able to beat a goalie uh, from 20 feet out with that shot. So uh, there's there's positives in his game, and like you said, he's he's not going to be a player who's judged totally or completely by his offense. There there's going to be other facets to his game that's going to make him an effective player. Yeah, exactly. Like he might even make his NHL debut before at Lavoie or uh, Borgo, just because maybe they the Oilers want. They're not competing uh, for different jobs. Yeah, right? like a twelfth, a twelfth, thirteenth forward to just go and right. bang for nine, seven minutes. Yeah, and and you know I think that when he does eventually make it to Edmonton, Oilers fans are going to love him because of the style he oh, plays. Yeah. They'll, they will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He'll be one of those guys that, like you said, isn't afraid to mix it up. And um, if he can, if he can kill some penalties, if he can, you know, keep the puck out of the net just as much as he's uh, contributing, uh, yeah, he he could have a, a career on a fourth line or maybe even moonlighting in a a third line role, uh, depending on if there's injuries or something. But uh, that's a player who, when you're picking a guy at 126th overall, just add that to the list of some of the late round picks we've talked about. I mean, uh, Petrov was, what, 180th, Warner was 212th, Savoy 100th, Tulio 126th. Who knows how long of a career any of these guys will have, but the fact that the Oilers have had this many guys picked 100th overall or later, and that they're all considered legitimate NHL prospects, that's really encouraging. It is. It shows to the AHL squad, like we talked about Chalk, uh, the Condors earlier. And it it really does. Like, they don't pick early often anymore. So you and do have to have a good... And they probably won't for a while in the mcdavid Drysidel era, right? So, oh, I really hope, so. hope not. <laughs> yeah, as long as that Stanley Cup window is open with Connor and Leon, 
I want the Oilers to be trading their first round picks. Now, eventually you do have to build up your, your system a little bit, but I want them to be trading those high picks to bolster the team at the deadline every year. There, there's no point in, in planning for the future. Plan to win right now while McDavid and Dreisaitl are in their prime. So if they have to trade their first round pick for the next three years uh, at the deadline every year, I'm fine with that. Yeah, like I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore. And I'm excited to see the kind of talent uh, Rick Pracy can bring in. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, like I said, we'll we'll do a deep dive more onto his background uh, next summer before the draft. But you know, sometimes just I think getting a, a fresh set of eyes in there and uh, changing it up. Obviously, Jeff Jackson is a, a very highly thought of uh, hockey executive. So if he believes that this is the right decision for the team, I trust it. And uh, we'll see what other type of uh, hires he makes uh, uh, in the, the year to come, especially with uh, breaking in uh, Michael Parcotti now as the, the data mm-hmm. analysis director. So, uh, you know, some of this forward thinking uh, decision making will, will hopefully pay off for the Oilers down the road. Yeah, I, I think it, I honestly I have all my trust in, in Jeff Jackson. I believe in him. You too. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, Tulio had 13 goals and 26 points in 63 games as an AHL rookie last season, although he took him some time to adjust the pro game. And, you know, he ended up having a solid year in Bakersfield overall. Like we talked about, it's hard to know if he's going to make the team before some of these other forwards that are around the same age. But uh, what do you want to see from him this coming season? I want to see just more like reliability. Just keep being that reliable player to go out if you need. Uh, just just keep a puck out of your net. Like let's put Tulio on. Let's if you need uh, a big penalty kill. Like let's put Tulio on because I think that's the type of player he can be, and that's what I'm aiming for. Is put him those opportunities for him to shut down the other team, and maybe I he just brings. This is for way forward thinking, but I'm excited for playoffs and he plays a playoff game. I want to see the type of intensity he brings down the line and game like 59 to 67. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's totally fair. Uh, all right. Uh, Jaden Groob is the only prospect we're going to talk about tonight that wasn't drafted by the Oilers. He was traded to Edmonton in the offseason after the New York Rangers decided not to sign him. Uh, Spencer, as someone who follows the WHL very closely like yourself, I'm sure you've seen Groob live several times. What did you like about his game at the tournament? I like he's he's like Tulio kind of in that you want him to be that reliable uh, instead of a winger, he's going to be. He's a for sure center, and he's a right shot, which is massive for the team. And you want him to be, what I've seen is, he's just a two-way, he's not the most fleet of foot, but he's big-bodied. He'll keep pressure on his back, but his main goal is to keep pucks out of his net, kind of let his wingers do, put him with a nice skilled winger at the dub is what I noticed, and then you just let him kind of do the dirty work. He likes getting, like I said, dirty. He goes down in the corners. But when he, he can put pressure on his back and look at those extra passes. But what I really liked is just the finishing around the net. And it's the two-way play to me that really makes him stand out in my mind. Yeah. Um, like you said, different kind of player than some of the Oilers' other forward prospects. He is a center. Uh, I... I 
I wouldn't say he was the most overly noticeable player at the tournament. Maybe when he's at his best, that's going to be the type of guy he is, like more of a defensive-minded center, uh, a checker. Uh, and, you know, Groob will be turning pro with the Condors this fall, too. Uh, just what what type of role do you expect him to have in his first AHL campaign? I would expect him. He's going to maybe be one of the bottom six centers, and I hope he just gets some... Get him a little bit of penalty killing time. Hopefully he can just, I don't, I don't I really expect big numbers out of him. I wouldn't, I don't hope Boilers fans do. It's just reliability. Make sure like he's not getting completely lost out there. My main goal is, can he keep up with the pace of the game? How does he adjust to the speed? Because he isn't the most fleet of foot, but if he can slow it down to his pace, then it's a, then it will work better for him. Uh, but I am, that's my one thing I would look for is reliability, but also the pace he needs to get up to pace. Yeah. And I I hope that there aren't going to be too high of offensive expectations for him, even Mm -hmm. at the AHL level, because if you look at his WHL scoring, it's not like he shot the lights out in that league even. So if you're not a, a top offensive player at the junior level, it's very unlikely that you will be when you get to pro. And uh, that's, like I said, that's not going to be the the type of role he's going to be asked to play when he makes it to the Oilers anyway. I think that he does have an NHL future, but uh, yes, the, the, the skill set that he possesses, the Oilers obviously, you know, desired that for a reason. And they thought that this is someone who can fill an important spot for us at some point. Yeah, exactly. And he's just, especially with the Noah Philp news coming out. Yeah, he is, had to fill that spot on the at, at center. Yeah, and if you think he's better than a lot of the players you're gonna get in the fifth round, then that's okay. And like I, he's also two years older and two years closer to playing. Exactly. That's a, that's also what really matters to this squad is he can actually kind of come in. You see what you get next year, what kind of pro he is, and then like that second big year step will be uh, not this year but next and. That's when you kind of see what you got. And like a fifth round pick, that's not much. And he's going to play like different role than Borgo will, different role, uh, role than a Petrov will. You just hope he can hopefully one day come up, win some face-offs and kill some penalties. Definitely. And we'll finish up tonight by talking about one more player from the dub, and that's Jake Chason. He was traded to my Saskatoon Blades last season and helped them reach the Eastern Conference final. Uh, Spencer, Chason doesn't have the offensive pedigree as some of the other top prospects like Borgo or Petrov. Uh, What did you like about his game at the Young Stars Classic? He's like exactly like the last two uh, almost and uh, reliability uh, mm-hmm. ever since I've ever since I've seen chase on is he's just the reliable winger he'll stay high in the offensive zone provide support for the d-men for that will pinch or he's around first man back into the uh, defensive zone he plays first penalty kill usually and he's just Mr. Reliable. You don't see him making many stupid passes, many uh, silly little shots that go uh, bouncing off the boards on a penalty kill. He's just kind of your meat and potatoes. He'll loves to go to the front of the net, bang home a goal or two, but he's mostly just your defensive winger. And that's what I like from him is you just, you don't expect 
much to happen when he's out there and that's right. you you take that with some good some bad but he's just you're kind of your net neutral guy and that's what i saw at the young stars was he's just kind of your like you always need that reliable winger and that's what i love about him yeah and maybe it'll be chase on and tulio who are eventually working their way up onto a fourth line with group and i don't know mm-hmm. if all, all there's a chance that all three of them aren't going to make it but the fact that they have these guys who are going to fill different spots down the road. They're, they're, they're not anticipating these guys being a first or second line winger. They're, they're going to be lower in the lineup if they do make it at all. But, um, you know, it's still depth in the organization. And uh, like we've talked about earlier, if, if even one or two of these guys hit um, in, a, in a depth role for the team, that, that could definitely help because you want to have as many cheap contracts for players who can fill a role as you can. Uh, especially with uh, some of the high price contracts the Oilers have now and, and will continue to have in the years to come. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't need to be these 30 goal scorers every year. They can no. just come in and provide some penalty kills, block a shot. And that's all, that's all you need. The other thing too is, is that Chase on is eligible to go back to junior for his overage season, which I don't think would be a bad idea because he never has been, like we said, a, a top contributor at the junior level even. However, he was one of 15 players sent down to the Condors a couple days ago. Do you think it would be better for his development to go back and play another season in the WHL or is he ready for pro hockey in your opinion? It's tough with him because... The opportunities it would be limited in the AHL, and I really I I like Saskatoon a lot this year. I think they can do some damage in the WHL. I like to hear so, that. Yeah. <laughs> so and he has already played well uh, over a hundred games, and he's like yeah he would hit two hundred and some this year. Uh, it's tough because. You want him to get ice time, but you also want him to experience a a step up in the level. You don't want him to stay at the WHL where it's getting easier for him. I kind of I would like to see. If it were up to me, I'd probably keep him in the AHL just so he can start seeing that pro experience. But I don't think it would hurt sending him down to be on a dominant Western team either, though. Yeah, I think that would be a good experience for him to go on a deep run. And like you said, if if the Blades are going to be a contender in the dub this year, then having him there would help them a lot, especially having a 21-year-old player who I would think that if he went back for this season, just giving the age that he would be at, he probably would be able to get close to a point per game. Uh, maybe that's a little bit high of an expectation, but I think he'd be at maybe at least three quarters of a point per game uh, if he was to go back. But right now he's at Condor's camp, and I guess we'll have to see uh, where he goes from here. Yeah, I think that would be a decent expectation, like point per game. And at his age, he should it should be doable, especially on Saskatoon, where he could play with uh, Trevor Wong or in a puck yeah. over like the first first round or Melendic. Uh, they got a good team, but they they're a team that focuses on defense again. So he's a perfect fit there, for sure. And let's just finish up tonight by talking about an article that you wrote this week for HeavyHockey.com about uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings opening weekend. Uh, you know, like they they got off to uh, 
a start where they they lost uh, the, their home opener on Saturday, uh, but then I believe they they bounced back with a four two win. Was it their their second game against Red Deer? Just a, how was it for you to just be back scouting WHL hockey again and uh, getting an early look at the, this Oil Kings team? Yeah, they act. They won their first game actually and, and lost the home opener. Oh, sorry, so, I got that backwards. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Uh, it's it's been awesome. Like the crowd was, it was a fun one for the home opener. They just played a uh, Lethbridge on Friday, and that that was a good game. But uh, you, the Oil Kings, they're still they're still not the they're not the big powerhouse like they were with Gunther and Prokop and all those guys. But, but in junior hockey, that's what you expect. I mean, exactly. they were a, a dominant club a couple of years ago that won the WHL championship. And Oil Kings fans have been pretty fortunate over the past decade with some of the teams that they've uh, been lucky enough to watch uh, winning multiple championships, of course. But this is just how junior hockey goes. They're in a rebuilding kind of stage right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's way better to be like in any league really bad than middle of the pack so they can regain some of those picks and yeah. get the assets back. But it's just awesome being back in the rink, especially now that it's fully up and running. Like there's no hiccups. Everybody's in the lineup usually. And this is another great year for the dub for uh, NHL draft eligibles, which always makes it just even better. Mm-hmm. And let's just uh, end on that. Who are some players in the WHL that you're most excited to keep an eye on this season? Uh, I really enjoy. That's a good question. My the one I'm watching my eyes are on is Adam Jekyll because he is the third overall CHL import pick and he's in Edmonton. But uh, Tanner Howe is a big one. He was uh, Connor Bedard's running mate last year for. Uh, when they were, when uh, Regina was, they weren't the best. Uh, another one is uh, Berkeley Catton. He'll be, a, I think he'll be a top 10 pick. I believe he should be. And he's had a great start to the season. Uh, another one is, just because it's fun, is Tijiginla. He's draft eligible, mm-hmm. so Jerome's son. Yeah, that's that's just a kind of a fun one. <laughs> Coming back to play <laughs> for his dad's hometown. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. And then a uh, oh, personal favorite is always I love Ryder Ritchie. He plays for Prince Albert, and I think he'll be a great NHL player. Well, Spencer, I look forward to reading more of your work uh, as you cover the WHL this winter. And great start getting that that first article out, uh, as well as your, your WHL uh, content that you brought in the summer from your, your top prospects that, that came from the Western League. So I want to thank you again for being on the show tonight. And uh, where can people follow you? Over on uh, uh, X, I guess I almost said Twitter. <laughs> I still call it. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I, think uh, I don't think I'll ever make the switch to calling it X, but <laughs> no, I, it's Twitter to me forever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, at SP Prospects is where you can find me. Okay, everyone, please go give Spencer a follow and check out his new article at heavyhockey.com. Spencer, thanks for doing this. Let's uh, record another episode sometime this season. Of course, I have to get on for number five. Yeah, exactly. Getting <laughs> close to one of the the top uh, top people who've been on the the show here. Oh, I'm gunning for that spot. Okay, you <laughs> you're you're gonna have to tell Michael that that you're uh, you're closing in on him now. Oh, I'm coming, Michael. All right, <laughs> all right. Thanks again, dude.
Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. So for Spencer Pomodi, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.